Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Associate Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Librarianship. It's our passion. It's our profession. But as much as we devote ourselves to it, we all have lives and interests outside of it. Of course we do. We're human beings. We have hobbies. We pursue intellectual and athletic pursuits. We travel extensively. We write. We build things. We create. We all live lives, fascinating lives, beyond the stacks. And we do things that may surprise our co-workers and patrons sometimes. Today, on the Dewey Decibel Podcast, we explore those lives. We look at the secret lives of librarians. First, American Libraries Associate Editor Tara Dankowski speaks with Adela Justice. She's Senior Librarian at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. She's also a bass player and a former cop. Her story is fascinating. Next, I speak with Sarah Ramsey. She's Media Specialist at Central High School in Knoxville, Tennessee. And she also works as a certified life coach in her off hours. Finally, Tara speaks with Susan McGuire. She's senior editor, collection management, and library outreach adult books at Bookless Magazine. But you might know Susan by her pseudonym, Sarah Title, the romance novelist behind the Librarians in Love book series. Before that, let's hear from a sponsor. Registration and housing are now open for the 2019 ALA Midwinter Meeting. Yes, I know what you're thinking. It's it's way too early to start thinking about midwinter, but that's ridiculous. Right now is the time to think about midwinter. Right now is the best time to secure your place at the Library World's Winter Highlight. Coming up January 25th through 29th, 2019 in Seattle, Washington. On top of everything that you can normally expect from midwinter, hundreds of panels and forums hosted by your peers, friends, and colleagues, an exhibit hall packed with the latest library technology, the Youth Media Awards, can't forget about that. This midwinter, we're going to be joined by speakers Melinda Gates and travel guru Rick Steves, with many, many more to come. You do not want to miss this midwinter. Register and find more information at 2019.alamidwinter.org. We'll see you there. Adela Justice, senior librarian at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, has a name that was made for crime fighting. So she did just that, becoming a Texas Reserve Deputy in her free time, and it's a pursuit that has earned her national fame. Do we mention she also plays bass and rock and blues bands? She spoke with American Library's associate editor Tara Dinkowski recently about her wide-ranging pursuits. I have to say, I read that UT article that you're in, and I love the quote that you have where you said, at one time, I think I was the only librarian cop bass player in the world. And I'm just curious, how did you become this combination? What 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 formative experiences created this person? Yeah, so I had already been a librarian for many years, um, and when I um, got interested in law enforcement, and what happened was I watched my boyfriend get held up at gunpoint in front of me. So after kind of my PTSD wore off from that frightening incident, I um, decided to be proactive. My fear turned into anger, which turned out to be very motivating, and I started researching um, things like uh, weapons and uh, gun, gun courses and shooting, training, and um, went that route. And then I got interested in law enforcement, and I wondered if there were volunteer police programs available. 
and I did some searching, and it turns out um, there are what, what they call reserve programs um, where you are a citizen, but you are able to get trained and sign up as a volunteer, um, in my case, volunteer sheriff's deputy. And so I went through the year of sheriff's academy. It took a year because I went at night and on weekends. And after the year was over, I had a Texas um, police uh, police officer's license commissioned by the state. And I began um, patrolling as a deputy um, as a part-time volunteer basis with Harris County Sheriff's Office. So that's how the police work happened. <clears throat> and then the, um, the musician aspect of it, I um, had been a musician for since I was a child and had a bachelor's degree in music performance and then just started playing um, in bands when I graduated from college and came home to Houston. So I had been a professional bass player even longer than being a, a librarian and a police officer. That's incredible. Um, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, no, you're, uh, your story about becoming a cop is, is very, like, way to, way to put anger to good use. Um, what, uh, so, so you mentioned all the training and you had all the, I guess, the rights and responsibilities of a, of a cop, right? Like the reserve deputy is the same training and the, the same expertise, I'm guessing? Yes, the, res- yes, the reserves um, are exactly like any other police officer or sheriff's deputy out there, except that we um, don't get paid and we can um, choose our own hours that we want to work. Okay. Did you ever get to make any arrests or? Uh, many, many, many arrests. <laughs> yes, yes, many arrests. Um, and your your last name is Justice. Was was that lost on anyone who worked with you? <laughs> People did get a kick out of that. They they enjoyed seeing that my name was Deputy Justice. Um, the some, someone told me that they had a cousin who was a Judge Justice. <laughs> uh, yeah, Justice is a is a fun name. Um, it's actually uh, my married name. That's not my original name. Okay. And when I got the name, it was kind of fun to be able to switch out my name tags and all my um, IDs for the name Justice. That's perfect. <laughs> um, so, so playing bass in a band too. Uh, what what kind of music uh, did you play? And and or are you still active? Where do you perform? Yeah, so my background is actually in classical music. That's what my bachelor's degree is in. Uh, I played viola in the symphony for many years. But um, when I um, graduated with my bachelor's in music, I had a hand injury that that sort of developed. And so that's when I looked at library school because um, I thought that would be a great great plan B. And it was, clearly. Um, So when I moved back home to Houston, um, I knew I couldn't play classical music anymore, but I had played classical bass for a year. So I just took the classical bass and took it to the electric bass and started playing around town in blues bands. So mostly blues, because I, I just love the blues. Um, Texas is a great blues music state, and Houston is. And then I also played in some uh, country bands that was also, that were also very fun. Um, and so I did that for almost 20 years, just playing professionally in bands around Houston. Um, until I, then I retired when I had a baby six years ago. But just this past summer, um, there's a band here at MD Anderson Cancer Center comprised of top-notch um, cancer researchers and clinicians and uh, scientists, and they have an MD Anderson band called the Checkmate. And so they, they found me because they needed a bass player at the time, and they brought me out of retirement. And just since August, uh, last month, we've done um, uh, 
two gigs and we have another gig this uh, month and it's been super duper fun that's incredible okay so do any of these eclectic skills of yours translate because you do medical librarianship um do any of these skills kind of translate to either you know the research or the the customer service element or how how do you put it all together (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the reason that uh, I felt like I needed the outlet to be um, a sheriff's deputy is because I, I often told people that being a librarian is so sedate, and I'm really kind of an adrenaline junkie, and so I kind of needed a way to an outlet for that for that part of me. Um, but actually, um, the sheriff's deputy skills have, have brought me <clears throat> transferred up to the library in the sense that um, if there's any security risks, which, of course, in public li- you know, libraries that are open to the public or anyone else, of course, there can be security risks. And so um, I feel like I, I can kind of approach it from, from that sense and like a personal safety or public safety aspect. Um, and uh, but, but otherwise, yeah, I kind of feel like the music and the sheriff's deputy are really just kind of the opposite outlet that I need from being so um, kind of, I don't know, kind, kind of just a sedate, mostly calm environment. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of um, necessarily urgency or um, life or death situations in, in the library world. So I, I really say that, that that's kind of how that's worked out to my, to my advantage, that I have, am able to satisfy kind of all my, all my personal interests and needs. Are there any other hidden talents we should know about or anything else you do to kind of defy the librarian stereotype? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, probably that, that, that's enough. Just I, like I'm, I'm a really good sharpshooter. I graduated second in the Sheriff's Academy in firearms, and I was shooting a very large gun. I was shooting a 45, and the guy who came in first was shooting a 40, which is a smaller gun. So, um, yeah, I'm just a, a really, really good with uh, weapons, and um, and in terms of, of music, um, that, that's just worked out very well. Um, so yeah, my talents are definitely in medical librarianship, consumer health, shooting, and playing music. That's that's the best kind of resume, I think. <laughs> ALA Job List is the award-winning source for jobs in library science and technology. If you're looking for a new job or an employer who wants to advertise a job opening, JobList has you covered. Job seekers can refine and filter searches by, by position type, employer, location, post resumes, and automate alerts to never miss a posting. Employers can rest easy knowing that ALA reaches the engaged professionals that they want to hire. It also simplifies recruiting by offering flat rate pricing, discounted multi-ad packages, and enhanced postings for increased visibility. ALA JobList. It's where job seekers and employers get results. Visit joblist.ala.org for more information or to begin your search today. Get on the list. Sarah Ramsey spends her days working as a library media specialist at Central High School in Knoxville, Tennessee. In her off hours, she works as a certified life coach and neuro-linguistic master practitioner, helping people recover from toxic relationships. And she's found a way to merge her after-hours work into her work at the library. I spoke with Sarah about all this and how she's merged her two passions together. Sarah, welcome to the Dewey Decimal Podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Awesome. We're glad to have you. 
Now, uh, in addition to, to your work as a media specialist at uh, Central mm-hmm. High School in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, you are a certified life coach. Um, I am, yes. And um, I guess um, the, my, my first question is, how did you come into this uh, extra line of work of yours? Well, it doesn't feel it does, it feels very seamless. Um, there's a book, great book called Design Your Life, studying design theory, and it asks you to map out and do some mind mapping to figure out what pieces of your life connect. Um, and you know, as a librarian, you're always helping people, you're always pushing them to their limits. You're always exposing them to new ideas and hopefully um, exposing, making their world bigger. And by making their world bigger, you make their world better and safer and more incredible. And so it felt very in line with that. Um, books, as a child, I loved reading stories. And as an adult, um, books saved my life. And being able to each day connect with the greatest minds in the world and have, you know, all these PhDs at your fingertips and all these people doing this incredible research and cutting ideas and then being able to take that information for free, take that information mm-hmm. for free and have it at your fingertips and use it to change your life. And it's, you know, it's not cliche. It, it, you know, my my master's degree in library science and learning all that was at my fingertips did change my life. And um, so then taking all that information and taking all that research and getting the life coaching certification felt very natural. It didn't feel like something extra. It felt like an extension of what I was already doing. Oh, yeah. Um, now, do you have a, a particular specialty um, in your in your life coaching? Um, is there a, a specific um, uh group of people or, or, or mindset that you work with? Um, yes, I do toxic relationship recovery. So people okay. who have been um, damaged by past relationships and um, toxic relationships felt like they were in relationships where they were constantly giving and never receiving, um, playing by the same – they didn't play by the same set of rules. So I um, help those people oh. and help them understand. It's one of the most confusing – um, dynamics of relationship and studying the verbally abusive relationship by Patricia Evans or why would he do that by Lundy Bancroft. Um, it's even people, they go on this like rampage of research and they research this and the next book and the next article and quite honestly they get stuck in the research um, and they are really good at trying to heal and they never get to the place of growth. Um, and so I walked them through that research project to kind of give them the highlights of so that they can change their life and um, then move them towards a new life. And it's been really successful. And um, it's so wonderful to get thank yous and to people say, you know, for all my research that I did for it to be able to use to change someone's life. It's amazing. It really is. Oh yeah. Now you're also um, a neuro linguistic master practitioner. Uh-huh. Um, can yes. you? Because um, I mean, I, I before reading about that, I didn't know what it was. But can you tell our our listeners um, what that is exactly and how that how that works into your life coaching? Sure. So that's exactly uh, what Tony Robbins is. You know, he focuses on peak performance, um, and I focus on relationship recovery. But um, so the basically, it's taking an idea and then putting a new spin on it 
So, for example, um, if you've been in a toxic relationship and you've had someone mistreat you, whether it be a parent, partner, um, you can get stuck into people pleasing and have coworkers and you know all that all that type of thing. Um, there, there's this idea that there's something wrong with you, and so I, for example, NLP flips that framework, and my work flips that framework, and so you think. If, if there's a type of personality that everything has to be perfect and they only think they deserve the best and they go after you, then what does that say about you? Is it that there's something wrong with you or that there's something really right with you? And, you know, that's the basis of my entire practice of, um, you know, helping people see that there is something really right with them. And that's why they were the target of a toxic relationship. They're not broken um, so that you know there you know there wasn't something so wrong with them that they kept falling into it there was something so right with them that they kept getting attracted toxic people were attracted to them mm-hmm. okay um now you you just you touched on this um briefly um how librarianship informs your work as a life coach and I think and, and yeah. I I'm assuming that's and then and vice versa also. Now Absolutely. And you've um you've been bringing this into your school uh with something that uh, which I think is 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 amazing. It's called Mental Health Mondays. Um uh-huh. can you can you tell our, our our listeners a bit more about that because I think it's 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 an awesome plan. I think that you can probably spark some ideas in other people's minds too. Yeah, so when you are a media specialist, the world is at your fingertips, right? You have, you can be anything that the school needs. You know, um, one year I was, you know, really focused on technology. You know, another year I may really focus on research because it's able, you're able to kind of rise above the landscape of the school, look down and think, what does the school need? And what skills do I have to bring to the table to change the school? And I think, Looking at it from that perspective of that's that's the role of the media specialist. You know, I'm not you know just stuck in the library, and my job is not to check out books. My my job is to serve the school. And what tools do I have, and what information do I have that from having this amazing degree that other people don't necessarily see, and other information they don't have, and resources they don't have, and so it just fits very well with this, you know, and I was doing the life coaching certification, just became part of that process, and I thought, what does my school need, Um, and what do I have, what skills do I have to offer that I can bring to the school to make it a better place, and when you do that enough, I hear a lot of media specialists, and they're frustrated, they don't have the, maybe they don't necessarily have the support of their um, administration, or people may not listen to them, and, you know, solve things for them. And the beauty of this is that uh, when you approach it that way and you think, what skills do I have that I can make the school a better place, and you kind of think outside of the box in that realm, people are always going to listen to you. (laughs) And when you do something and it's like, oh, that worked, and then the next thing worked, and then the next thing worked, you know, pretty soon you can say, hey, let's try something like Mental Health Mondays, and, you know, and everybody, you know, most people would go, what? What are you even talking about? And it's just like, no, this is what we're doing this year. And, you know, people kind of got behind it. And so I create lessons from my – basically, I get to life coach students. I get to – so I'm talking to most of my clients are in their 50s, um, and 
I get this beauty. It's, it's almost a research project in itself. So I talk to all these women in their 50s, and then I think what did what tools and skills did they need in their teens that they that they're now having problems in their 50s because of information they didn't get in their teens. Mm. And so then I create lessons based on what information did they need in their teens, whether it be emotional intelligence, resilience, grit, uh, gratitude, neuroscience, toxic relationships. As obviously, we had a um, student, it wasn't at the school, but there was a football player, and he killed uh, one of our cheerleaders, shot her in her bed, and there was a um, – it was on Dateline and obviously made national news. And, you know, that was two or three years ago. You know, that was, um, which obviously I did a Facebook post on it. It spurred a lot of the toxic relationship recovery stuff. And so now I get to teach teenagers what the warning signs are. And I get to, I get to prepare them at 14 and give them some of the same skills I'm giving 54 year olds. But, you know, hopefully that, changes the course of their life and I've had kids and they say oh I broke up with my boyfriend or you know and it could be it could be guys and girls I work mainly with women but it can it can absolutely be both and you know change the landscape of their life so that they don't have 40 years of tragedy they don't have two or three divorces they don't have losing their kids in a custody battle they don't you know they don't have all that pain um you know and maybe I can change their life that way yeah. Prevent the problems before they happen. Absolutely, and from some of the um, the news coverage I've read about your Mental Health Mondays, it seems like the kids are really um, the students are really receptive to it. Oh yeah, um, they really um, like it. We we did diversity this week, um, and we talked about uh, I've met a very diverse school, and there's a lot of power in that. A lot of um, very a great mindset that people can. Uh, think in those terms. We don't think in boxes here. And that's a really lovely thing. Um, and the kids, you know, they just eat it up and they're like, yeah, this is a great place to be. And, um, you know, and it's anger management. It's my, going to be my next, one of my next new goals. We also talk about bullying, um, attitude of gratitude. There's tons of science to back up the thought processes of positive psychology and self-talk within testing. You know, it, it's, the sky's the limit. And it's just amazing. And the kids are, you know, they don't get as excited about self-talk during testing as they do about um, bullying. You know, they they definitely have their favorite topics Mm -hmm. as well. And honestly, the more controversial, the more um, happy the kids are about it. Because the more they need the information, the more they need to know it. What will the upcoming midterm elections mean for your library and community? Join us for a free 60-minute AL Live webinar on Friday, November 9th at 1130 a.m. Eastern Time, where we'll provide an overview of key results from the elections and explore their implications. ALA's Washington office will dig into how the outcomes could affect engagement from library advocates and how ALA's upcoming advocacy plans will align. Our panelists, confirmed so far, are Jim Neal, immediate past president of ALA. He's going to moderate. Alan Inouye, he's a director of ALA's Office for Information Technology Policy. And Gigi Sohn, she's a distinguished fellow at Georgetown Law Institute for Technology, Law, and Policy. They're going to look at the library-related implications for the elections, how the results affect library policy agenda, 
outreach and advocacy plans for 2019 and beyond, and also specific policy and political opportunities for ALA and libraries. Again, that's Friday, November 9th at 1130 a.m. Eastern Time. Learn more and register at AmericanLibrariesMagazine.org slash AL dash live. Susan McGuire is Sarah Title, and Sarah Title is Susan McGuire. One is the Senior Editor, Collection Management and Library Outreach, Adult Books at Booklist Magazine here at ALA. And the other is the writer behind romance novels like Undateable that find librarians in all sorts of steamy situations. American Library's Associate Editor Tara Dinkowski spoke with them both. And then Bernie was standing in front of him, wearing a flowy dress that hit just above her knee and sandals revealing toenails painted bright turquoise. Painted toenails always did something to him. He looked up into her face. She looked good. He didn't know why he was always surprised by that, probably because he was always half expecting her to show up in one of her old sack dresses and give the finger to him and his story, which wasn't fair at all. She'd been a surprisingly good sport this past week or so. Her hair wasn't straight. It would probably never be straight after she'd washed it, or so Jack said. But she'd managed to tame it into soft waves that fell around her face. Whatever tricks Janine had given her were working because her brown eyes popped and her lips looked eminently kissable. Not that he wanted to kiss her. Hey, he said, and leaned in to kiss her cheek. That was weird. He didn't normally kiss her cheek. And she smelled good, too. Damn. Hi, she said, accepting the kiss and then stepping back without biting his head off. Progress. I think he wants to kiss her for real. What's going to happen? Um, like long term. <laughs> so he, uh, yeah, he for real wants to smooch her face off, but instead he's going to introduce her to the person she's supposed to be going on a date with that night. Interesting. Okay, so just backtrack. Yeah. I'm here with Susan McGuire, who is the senior editor of Collection Management and Library Outreach at Booklist, and you just heard her read from her romance novel, The Undateable, by Sarah Title, who's really me. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Thank you. Thanks. So. So you're a librarian. Tell me, how did you decide to write a librarian romance novel? Well, um, I had written a couple of romance novels before this, and uh, it's it's a combination of like marketing, which is kind of gross, but also me not wanting to do things the easy way, and someone convincing me that I should just not and do things the easy way. That doesn't make sense. Um, so I'd written a couple of romances, uh, and then my editor wanted me to do like a series, a more cohesive series. And I had tried to do that in the past, but like really once I'm done with a set of characters, I'm like, I'm really done. <laughs> and, and I'm such an impulsive writer that like if I'm not feeling it, I like really can't do it. So she's like, why don't you write about librarians? And I'm like, that's so tacky, because I'm a librarian. But um, then I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, I wouldn't have to do that much research. So that was like really a bonus for me. 
and uh, I just decided to try it, and it worked out pretty well. When when did you know romance was your genre? Like, have you always been writing romance? Since who, who influenced you? I, I imagine this started a long time ago. Well, so I have been writing like forever, um, just for fun, and I didn't really start thinking about writing romance until I started reading romance again, which was when I was in library school, actually, for a reader's advisory assignment. My first one was um, Slightly Married by Mary Balog, which hopefully some of your listeners know and love. And I just was like in love with it and that got me back. I mean, I used to read romance when I was like in high school and all of the heroes had mustaches and they were like a lot of forced seduction garbage. Um, So yeah, so that library school got me back into reading romance and then I just, I'm not really sure what the impetus was to get more serious about writing. I guess I had like made some writer friends and that was making me interested in doing it. And I just sort of, when I was figuring out what kind of story I wanted to tell, once I sort of, you know what, people read romance novels and they're like, I could write one of those. And so um, when I started thinking about that, I was like, well, let's see if I actually can. And uh, it was great and fun. That's wonderful. Um, How many novels have you written in total? Oh, I never know the answer to this question. Okay, I should have come prepared. (laughs) Um, So like, like maybe six full-length novels and then a, a handful of novellas. Okay. And do you have a favorite of yours that you've written? Um, I do. Is that wrong? No. <clears throat> so my favorite of the librarian books is the second one called Falling for Trouble. <laughs> uh, but my favorite of the books I've written is one, I think it was my second or third book called Home Sweet Home about an English professor who buys a house that's falling down and then um, a A guy. A real fixer-upper. It is. And the guy helps her fix it up and he's a hunk. And the house is mildly sentient also. And uh, can we talk about your gnome de plume? How did you come up with Sarah Title? How did Susan McGuire want to be want to be Sarah Title. Well, um, a lot of romance writers use fake names, and so I just felt like that's what I should do. Because, I mean, there's not a great reason for that. I just thought it was a good idea. And for some reason, people always think my first name is Sarah. Like, people I've known for months, like in school, will just be like, oh, Sarah. And I'm like, oh, that's not my name. So I thought that would be funny to basically me, but you know, whatever, it's my name. And then title was sort of a librarian joke that like the author field would have title in it, har har. So yeah, that's it, bunch of jokes. That's clever, I like it. Do you have any plans to publish something else or sure. set it in a different spot or yeah. continue with the undateable or the, uh, the librarians in love series? Um, I didn't have plans to continue the Librarians in Love series because I wrote three 
and they're all set in different parts of the country and like they're the only way that they are a series is because they're all about librarians wait do you have an academic librarian a public librarian and a school librarian i don't have a school librarian the third one is a law librarian oh oh yeah well but so maybe i should do a school librarian i mean they need love too yeah i mean possibly more than anyone because they're working with children (laughs) Which is my nightmare. Are you going to edit that part out? I think we should leave it in. I like. I prefer adult services. Um, uh, So, but I've been having like a little bit of writer's block. So I'm thinking about maybe going back to librarians. And maybe that's it. Maybe school librarian is the way to go. She gets a new administrator whose son is in her class and they butt heads because he wants to cut funding no i did i in the public librarian book uh one of the big plot points is that the new mayor wants to cut library funding and that that's sexy (laughs) well he's the villain that's right the hero is the librarian it's a man and then the heroine is a rock star and it works out That wraps another episode of the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Join us next month for a very special Halloween episode where we investigate a local library haunting with help from author Mary Roach. You definitely do not want to miss this one. As always, let us know how we're doing. Head over to Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Or you can email me at deweydecibel at ala.org. Praise, complaints, show ideas, anything at all. We want to hear from you. Until next month. I'm Phil Moorhart from American Libraries Magazine, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Mm-hmm.